0: Well, it's no sacrifice. It's a joy to be here with y'all, and even thin crowd or not, who cares? The Lord's here, right? Okay, and I can just picture Paul down in Haiti. Our church supports a mission in Haiti, and I'm telling you, they're sweating bullets. You think it's hot here? Pray for the team and uh, for the Lord to do a, a great work. Um, our message today comes out of Mark chapter 6, and you know, we're familiar with water, right? And yet, I have a hard time relating to this danger scene on the water. Now, y'all don't, wouldn't think anything about running up and down the intercoastal or up to Wilmington or out to the, you know, Cape. Uh, why is it that we don't fear water? Well, two reasons, essentially. Um, number one, we got motors, <laughs> If we see thunderheads building up or whatnot, you know, we'd throw the gas down and we're running 40 miles an hour across the water. We can outrun anything. Well, in case you didn't know, this ain't no, you know, 600-horsepower motorboat. We don't quite know what it was. Maybe it had a little sail, but it does say the guys were straining against the oars. It's basically some sort of glorified rowboat. And, you know, you don't maneuver rowboats real easily. Half of us can't, you know, maneuver it when it's just us paddling, much less with, you know, eight or ten other guys trying to coordinate that and waves are crashing over the front. And the other reason we don't fear scenes like this is we don't ever go out at night. Or if we do, we got generators and whole nine yards and spotlights, you know, with 15,000 amps or whatever, you know, to shine. you ever seen one of these little biblical lamps they 're about that big, and they do well if you can see two feet or three feet in front of you now if it 's pitching and tossing, probably it 's been extinguished, so they 're in the middle of blackness, and you know what happens when you 're in such a situation like that because you can 't see the horizon. You're completely disoriented. It's hard enough to stand up in a pitching boat in daylight, much less when you can't even tell where up and down is and where the next wave is gonna hit you. And these guys, even though they're experienced fishermen, several of them, are clearly and rightfully so terrified. Now, you're probably not gonna be in a nighttime situation without a motor. But you will experience profound disorientation and, and disequilibrium when some storm of life descends upon you. The economic collapse, you lose your job, child is born with a birth defect, or any number of things that that can rock us to the core and and make us think, well, you know, I've had hopes that Christ was going to make a difference in my life, but here we are. Well, this is great. I knew he'd be like the rest of the things I put my hope in, and and we can panic like these disciples did, basically. God has given us this passage to Instruct us in a number of things. The two principal things I want us to look at this morning is why does he give us, uh, us, why did he give the disciples a situation like this, and why did he does he allow difficulties in our lives? Number one is simply to mature us, to grow us up in the faith, and make us stronger. But this passage also gives us insight into how to handle situations like this. When they do come along, and I don't quite know where this congregation is, where you are as an individual, but if you don't need it now, take notes, because at some point you will need what is laid up in this text. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, Difficulty is coming on to mature them. Why is that? Well, they're about two-thirds of the way through the three-year ministry of Christ here, and um, pretty much up until now, they've been on easy street, and been wandering around following Jesus, and uh, hey, it's been fun. You know, he turns water into wine over here, and he, uh, you know, raises somebody from the dead over there, and... Uh, They've just gotten uh, handled with their very own hands the baskets in which he multiplied, you know, the loaves and fishes to feed 5,000 people. Man, I'd like the part of that gig, right? Be fun to wander around uh, somebody that could do stuff like that. But Jesus knows they need more than just easy times. They need something to take them beyond where they are. So this episode that unfolds isn't just bad luck. It's not simply, well, you know, um, caught, caught everybody off guard. They started late at night across the sea, made a bad decision. No, if you look at the text, actually, it shows that Jesus specifically fashioned this for them to go through. Uh, Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. It was his idea. He fashioned it. It was about, you know, almost dark when this whole thing took place. By the time they got loaded up and took off, it pretty much was. And so Jesus made this happen. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a view of life that includes not only Jesus being in charge of the good things, but to some degree orchestrating the difficult? It's easy to see him in control or in charge of the easy, a little more problematic in terms of the difficult things in your life. Well, let me extend that great truth that does bring comfort that he is in control over all where in your life right now do you believe God's in control of these things but he's not in control over here I want to ask you to consider bringing that problematic area under the scope of believing That's in his control. He has a plan. And he is moving that plan forward. As difficult as that is. Secondly, I want us to think through as we go forward. That Jesus not only has a plan that includes some measure of difficulty. He sees you in the midst of that difficulty. Verse 48, another comforting jesus was up on the mountain praying but he still at the same time saw he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them do you believe jesus sees you in the difficult times you know funny thing happens when you don't really believe that he sees you. you now we've always got this thing going on. We have our formal theology. Of course, Jesus sees me. And then we have our operative theology. I don't know if he sees me or not. I better do something by myself. I mean, I better get going. I better take this into account. I better take this into account. You know, the, when you really, really don't believe he sees you, you adopt all kinds of human strategies to deal with it. Now, the first one is simply worry. At the lowest level, you just worry. Oh, my word, oh, my word, oh, my word, oh, my word. Take it a little bit further, you start controlling. You know, if if Jesus doesn't see me, you'll, somebody's got to do something. I guess I better come up with a plan. And all of a sudden, we start trying to control things. Make something happen, protect ourselves. And if you go beyond that, you hit... Full-blown panic. I <laughs> mean, jump out of the boat. You know, it's really been interesting in Mount Pleasant down the road in Charleston to see um, some of the professional people and real estate people and whatnot in these economic times. They're doing crazy things down in Mount Pleasant. They're doing extortion, and, and you know, one guy's gone over here and murdered somebody. And these aren't you know riffraff. You know, these are pillars of the community they don't believe that jesus has really seized them at their point of need i hope you won't adopt the panic strategy but a lot of us you know what we end up doing when we don't really believe god sees us in these difficult situations we just take on the resentment strategy well i'm not going to abandon the faith But I'm going to carry a grudge because so and so has it better than me, and God didn't let that happen to them. I'm the one who's really got it bad. So I'll, I'll, I'll serve you, but I'm not going to be in love with you. And we carry resentment around. Do you believe Jesus sees you? He does. And he not only sees you. He'll come to you. Jesus will come to supply your needs. Second half of verse 48 has two of the most comforting words I've ever read in scripture. About the fourth watch of the night. He went. Out to the. You know, oftentimes we can't see it, but he's already moving. We just can't see far enough out there where it is. Some of your C.S. Lewis fans, you know, Aslan is on the move. Now, the problem with this whole thing of the fact that Jesus is coming and he's on the move, Is is great. What's so hard is the timing, right? He's waited till the fourth watch of the night In Case you don't know the Roman time system, you know six o'clock or 6 p.m. To 9 p.m. Was the first watch 9 p.m.. To 12 second watch 12 to threes, third watch three to six They've been out there a while (laughs) Didn't like he came at you know 845 They're out there all night. Isn't that the way we feel? We're about to die. When are you going to show up, Lord? And what is this? Some twisted form of amusement that the Lord... uh, It's kind of boring up in heaven, so he puts his people through hard times and just watches the show. No. But he is, to some degree, like a parent. A good parent won't always immediately jump up at the first cry of a child. They want to let them struggle and figure out some things on their own and and, and therefore grow. And that's a similar situation to how we are. But let me just give you this little tidbit of wisdom that indeed God isn't wasting one ounce of difficulty or one ounce of time. He's using them all. My wife and I, you know, have a good group of young couples just like that. And I know your moms are out there and you see your little your little Johnny's having a tough time at kindergarten. Or, you know, he's not learning his ABCs by the time he's two. <sighs> He'll never read. <laughs> or whatever. My wife just says, you know, he may be encountering some social difficulties or some learning difficulties, but... God sees where he's going to be, and he has to go through this in order to be what God wants him to be here. And whatever you're going through that's difficult, God has to have you go through that in order to make you what he wants you to be afterwards. So, So then you can minister to those who are going through similar things as well. But God will come to you. I trust you believe that. And yet, I do have to ask where have you given up hope that He'll ever come? Seriously. There are areas we have hope for Him coming and doing something about. And there are areas where the dream of His coming has all but died. Let's turn from that unbelief based on this passage to saying, I will continue to wait even until the fourth watch or dawn and believe that God will come. And it's so wonderful that when He does come, he will speak to your fears. Verse 51. Or, excuse me, verse 50. Uh, they were all saw Jesus come. He appeared like a ghost. That's a little bit odd, but remember it's dark. And remember you got salt spray in your face and you see something out there. You don't quite know what it is. So, you know, let's give them the benefit of the, the doubt in terms of... Um, the time frame, no spotlights on the boat. Um, but when he comes, immediately he spoke to them. And he said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, I love those words because um, being a dad, hey, it's Father's Day, what are dads famous for? So often when we see you know, families not quite as mature, or grown up, or whatnot, as they should be. What do we? We're so famous for speaking words of shame. You know, if I'd been Jesus, I'd been saying, "What, <laughs> guys? I just fed five thousand people. Haven't you learned anything? I just raised this one from the dead, and you're worried about a little storm out here on the water. Where's your faith?" Aren't you students of the Old Testament? Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Psalm 23, they'll walk through the valley of shadow of death. I will, you know, do not fear, be with you. Rod and the staff, they comfort me. <laughs> Haven't you guys learned anything? Have <laughs> you been with me two years? <sighs> Maybe I better get somebody else. But he doesn't say that. He simply says two commands. What? Take courage. And fear not, but they're both predicated on the most (laughs) astounding words in all of Scripture. It is I. Now, in the English, that doesn't quite carry over quite as well as it perhaps could if we were Hebrews. We would know that that is very much a, in the Hebrew, it's simply I am Sound familiar? There have been a number of times where God testifies when people are particularly scared and, and wondering where God is. God shows up and says, don't fear. All you need to know is the eternal one, the great I am, is here. We remember, of course, the first instance of that. Moses right? Oh my! We're all in slavery, Lord. How are we ever going to get out of this business? And God, you know, comes to Moses and says, "Go over and tell Pharaoh to let my people go." And he says, "Yeah, right." Um, and God, of course, says, "What? I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you." Later, the psalmist is. Wondering about, will this this world ever be set right? Will the wrongs be made right? Who's going to judge this? There's so much injustice in the world. Psalmist speaks, God talking says, It is I who judge uprightly. It is I who hold the earth's pillars firm. Isaiah, um, you know, great captivity is about to unfold. God's purposes seem to be falling apart for Israel. God adds, therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Later in Isaiah, who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength, looking forward to the great redeemer? It is I. Speaking in righteousness. Mighty to say. Or we could go back to one of the earliest characters in all of Scripture, Job. You know, he was the one who had the great calamity of all calamities fall on him, whoever has suffered like Job, right? And he does pretty well having faith up until the very end, and he questions God, and God comes and says some questions that point towards who it is that's in control. Who laid the earth's foundations? Who gives orders to the morning or shows the dawn its place? Who is it that journeys to the springs of the sea and walks in recesses of the deep? Who can raise his voice to the clouds and cover himself with a flood of water? Who cuts a channel for a thunderstorm? And you know, God never answers those questions to Job. It's self-evident. 2,000 or more years later when that similar thunderstorm came up. He did answer it in the first person. Take courage. Fear not. It is I. Where do you need such a similar affirmation to steal your soul and your heart against the fears that have been raised ask God to speak to you he will now don't necessarily expect an audible voice but he'll speak to you primarily the way he does is in his word and and you know what this is like right when kind of flipping through and you've read this and you've read that before and then all of a sudden though it's like the words of a particular sentence just jump out at you and you know that message is for you god speaks to you from his word i resigned from my church in january you know let go the uh tram uh not trampoline trapeze before i had another job now does that make sense in the worst economy in the last seven years uh not particularly but you know like abraham god said start walking before he told me where he was ultimately going to end up so anyway long story short um i let go have a great interview in athens georgia or think it's going to be a great interview in athens georgia at a church i'm thinking okay that's this is going to be pretty easy you ever been in one of those interviews where you know about halfway through This ain't right. (laughs) And you continue to do the niceties, you know, back and forth, whatnot. But you know you're going to have to make a call the next day to just say, take me off the list, and you got nothing. Well, I just went through a situation like that this past spring. My wife and I look at each other in the car on the way back from Athens, and she looks at me, and I look at her, and she just nods her, I mean, shakes her head, and I go, you're right, that ain't right. I'm scuffing around and I'm speeding and I'm passing cars and pulling off at Chick-fil-A and getting two chicken sandwiches and we'll send the bill to the church And you know, I'm thinking and all the you know, I start, I start hit the worry button. Okay, what am I gonna do now? What am I gonna do now? I got nothing. I got nothing and then my mind starts hitting the control phase, you know Okay, well I can network with this guy and I can show up here and I can put my word in there Da 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 da. and then and then I'm about to hit full bore panic, but I, I, you know, My wife looks at me. She says Do you believe God sees us or not? Well, I'm not so sure She said, well, let's, maybe let's just read some in the Bible. Okay, like that will do some good. That's, that's exuding. I'm not saying the words, but we don't have to speak the words. We can just exude a lot of good that's going to do. And she does one of these numbers. <laughs> I don't typically recommend that. But she hits Psalm 62.1 in the opening line. I'm looking for rest and comfort and Chick-fil-A and speeding and sending the bill. My soul finds rest in God alone. It ain't going to be my planning. It ain't going to be my networking. It ain't going to be anything I do so much as it is. The rest for my soul is going to be in the Lord. That's how God spoke to me. And he'll speak to you if you'll listen Sometimes he speaks through music. You know, you ever been in a difficult situation? You hit the radio and all of a sudden the right song comes on at the right time. And you pull off the road and you have a good cry. Or sometimes he speaks to a pastor like me. Um, My wife is a real social type, but she really doesn't like speaking in front of crowds. And um, she was asked to be one of the main speakers at the Windy Gap. Uh, Southeast Regional Women's Conference. You know, 400 and some odd women up there and she was going to be one of about four speakers and she said yes about six months out and a moment of weakness. (laughs) And as it got closer and closer, I could just see in her eyes, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And I saw the, the fear just rising up. And I said, the Lord will show you and he'll fill you with his power. Just wait on him. And, of course, you know how it is. Husband's wives, <laughs> she blew that off. But, not too, you know, I mean, she's really in bad shape. I mean, she's got the stomach thing going on three days ahead of time. Hmm, not good. Well, my son thinks he can be helpful. He goes to Clemson and says, Mom. You can ride up to Clemson the night. It's halfway up to, you know, Windy Gap. And um, you can spend the night with me in my apartment. And we can go to FCA and we'll have a great time. And she's thinking, yeah, that'll really help me, son. Go up there with all those little cute little girls in their little college thing, you know. They're all working out in the gym, you know. They got the six-pack abs, you know, and I got the Cheeto Fun Pack, <laughs> you know. but i say well why don't you just go the lord might surprise you and speak to you there in a way that sitting around the house just waiting on the axe to fall won't so she goes and she goes to the fca at clemson you know every campus group really does pretty well they have about 500 people in the fca and she's sitting on about the third row trying to hide you know looking conspicuous and um Jeff Davis is a former All-American football player there, and he's now pastor. And he's one of these big black guys, you know. And you know the black preacher thing. They get to, rock, you know, rocking and rolling, and he's talking about how these college kids n- need to, to stand up for Christ and not just do the, you know, the drinking and cussing and carrying on thing. And, and, and the, if they indeed are children of God, they have the power to, to resist those temptations. And he says, you know, if you're a believer, you got the power. And if you're a believer, you got the power. And he's ramping it up. And then he, he steps out in front of the podium, and he, he, 500 people, he says, and you, is, is Jesus in your heart? As my wife. <laughs> he says, but you got the power that raised Lazarus from the dead. You got the power that, raised that, that rolled that stone away. And you got the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> and she was like, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> now, yes, you statisticians in here will say, well, there's a statistical probability of one in 500 that. <gasps> I do believe. God orchestrated that finger being pointed at her to give her the confidence to speak a day and a half later. It was God's, it is I. It ain't you that makes this thing work. It is him. And that's where our confidence Lies is it's not so much in our circumstances changing circumstances may or may not change but the one who's the same yesterday today and forever is with you and if you will hang with him through the trials you'll get to see the last thing that's here hang on i drove three hours you can give me five more minutes okay You'll get to see not only God speak to your fears, but Jesus amazed you. Now the disciples had been amazed before, but let's look at this carefully. Verse fifty one. Take courage as I don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Completely amazed. All right, what's completely mean? It means that previously there had been some measure of amazement, and now there's a fuller measure, right? Now, they were completely amazed. Why? You would expect what follows to be because the wind and the waves died down. But that's not what the text says here. It says, for they had not understood about the loaves previous miracle that had just occurred the day before their hearts were hardened apparently they'd seen a lot of miracles up until now but they hadn't seen enough to completely amaze them what was it that completely amazed them this little text here doesn't completely answer that question We have to kind of go to some of the other parallel passages and flip with me to Matthew 14, verse 33. Parallel account in Matthew, Matthew 14, 33. We might as well pick up in verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly. You are the son of God. You know, we don't quite know exactly how much the disciples saw when and exactly what point. But they're ready now to acknowledge that he's not just a man doing some pretty amazing things. He's not just a prophet doing some pretty amazing things. Truly. He is the son of God. Now when you work through the difficulties that are before you and you believe God sees you and you believe he will come to you, you don't take things into your own hands and you just wait till he finally does show up. You get to see him do amazing things and show you that he had a plan all along. If you do short circuit that process and just start taking things into your own hands, you don't get to see it. Whatever you're in. That's testing you to the, the max. Leave here today with a renewed sense of waiting on the Lord. Believe that he does see. He will show up. He will speak to you and he will amaze you. My last little illustration to drive it all home comes from the sweet little children's story, Anne of Green Gables. You know that story? I think most of you probably are familiar with it. Uh, Matthew and Marilla are older couple living up in um, Prince Edward Island, Canada. He's getting on in years, needs some help on the farm. Uh, They send off for a young boy to help with the farm chores and through a clerical error, they send a girl. <laughs> and um, they think about sending her back through some circumstances. She doesn't go back. And they decide, okay, I don't quite know why, but we have a girl. We're going to keep her. And you know, and she leads them through one crazy adventure after another. At times, they're ready to pull their hair out. At times, they uh, laugh. But she ha- so enriches their lives. And the scene I'm particularly thinking about, they take her off in the wagon, put her on the train to go off to college, and Matthew and Marilla are riding back to the farm, thinking over the last, you know, 12 years of their life with Anne. And each of them offers a commentary on what was really going on. Matthew kind of folk wisdom type says, wow. Weren't we lucky, really, now that all is said and done? Weren't we lucky to get a girl? And Marilla says, no. It wasn't luck. It was providence. God knew what we needed. Providence pro forward Video Seeing. God saw them and they've specifically designed, it was a test to have in. and to keep working hard. But they waited and saw God's plan unfold and they saw God bless them in ways that they never would have been blessed. Take heart wherever you are. God sees. God will succumb to you. God will speak to you and amaze you. Let us pray. Lord, I've gone a long time today and I won't take a whole much more time, but simply ask for your grace to help these dear folks, whatever stormy boat they're in. And we pray that having seen the truths from this text, they would respond in faith with an offering that would, uh, in some respects, say in advance, thank you for what you're going to do. We pray in your name. Amen.